Thanks very much, Jean. Thanks, Patrick, for sharing. Sorry to um, bring you forward, but uh, I think that's a, a good thought for us to have as we, as we go through our service. So thank you for that. So our reading this morning um, is from Galatians uh, chapter 4 uh, and verses... Uh, I'm actually going to read from verses 4 to 7. That might um, uh, throw you slightly... Don't worry, Tracy. I'm just going to read a couple of verses before um, the set passage. So... Um, Uh, you'll be able to pick that up as as I go on. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I think I'm booming a bit. Am I booming a bit? I can hear myself in my ear here. So, oh, Thank you very much. Right. If you can turn it down a bit, that'd be great. Thank, thanks, Paul. So... so um, That passage, uh, I just want to read uh, a couple of those verses again and just listen to the progression of what is being said here. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And by sonship, of course, we mean daughtership as well, folks. This is all-inclusive. Because you are his sons and his daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So, as I was saying earlier, uh, last week, uh, most of us, I'm sure probably all of us, celebrated Christmas with with somebody, with family, with friends. Um, You might have seen people that you haven't seen in a while, perhaps since last Christmas or or the Christmas before. Um, You probably exchanged gifts. Uh, You probably ate more food, yeah, I did, uh, than you should have eaten. So what effect did Christmas have on you? How did you feel? Were you stressed? Were you tired? We were tired. We had uh, uh, two of our grandchildren round and, uh, and our daughter said towards the end of the day, I think next year we, we, could, we could all stay over. <laughs> Hopefully she's not watching this, but uh, online. <laughs> but it was, it was nice to say goodbye. <laughs> 
and to sit down and to go to sleep pretty quickly after that. <laughs> what did Christmas really mean to you? Uh, was it about the gifts, the food, uh, the time spent with family? Uh, and if we're honest, I think you know, Christmas is all about some of those things. Uh, but as I was saying earlier, you know, it is also about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the real gift of Christmas and what Christmas should really be all about. So Christmas is the time that Christians remember and celebrate God's gift to all mankind. God gave us the most wonderful gift that couldn't be purchased online or in any shop. Chris reminds us that at a specific time and a specific place, a specific Christmas gift, the gift of all gifts, was given for a very specific reason. And the gift was our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So what does the Christmas gift of Jesus really mean uh, to us? What does it mean for God to have sent his only begotten Son to the world? Uh, And I want us to go through that uh, short passage this morning and think about several things that it reveals about that greatest gift of God to us in Jesus. Firstly, the gift of Christmas was timely. It was timely. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Have you ever waited for something and thought it would never come? Um, Our daughter Helena's Christmas present from us is somewhere between us and the Suez Canal, I think, at the moment. Uh, Or maybe not the Suez Canal, maybe it's rounding the the Horn of Africa. But, um, But we're waiting for it and hopefully it will come, but I'm afraid it didn't arrive for Christmas. Have you ever received something at just the right time? Maybe it was an unexpected windfall, some money that you weren't expecting that came in just in time to pay that bill that you were wondering how you were going to cover. Maybe it was a gift that came just in time for your birthday. Maybe it was a message that you received just at the right time, words at just the right moment. Well, the same is true for God. God is an on-time God. He's never late, although sometimes we might wish he would hurry up. We might wish for God to act on our schedule, but God isn't required to act according to when we think he should. Um, He's got a plan. He's had a plan since the beginning of time. And when the time was right, God sent his only son, Jesus, to come and be the saviour of the world. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God determined when the time was right to send his son, Jesus, to the world. God had endured mankind's sin in the world that he had created. And he sent that long-expected saviour who was promised all the way back uh, in the beginning of, of the Bible, in Genesis. What prophets had foretold centuries before, what Israel had longed to see for so long, 
finally came in God's time, wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger in the town of Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. The birth of Christ came at just the right time and according to God's plan. The second gift I want to talk about is redemption. One of the things that we learn as we read the Bible is that we are in debt to God. And how many of us like to be indebted to someone else? We don't like to, we don't like to be in debt. Debt enslaves the borrower to the lender. Debt puts a person in bondage to the one that he or she owes. And we are spiritually indebted. We owe God. Because we, on our own, we are tied up. We are enslaved by sin. I I wanted this little thing here. I'm not going to touch him, okay? I'm just going to leave him there. But but actually, the lights that, um, that flash, they actually are wound all around him. And... And it's like uh, I was preparing for this morning, thinking, as I was looking at that and thinking about that little toy for the talk, I'm thinking, actually, it's a bit like that, that those, those lights are coiled round him. Uh, and, and yes, they're flashing and they look bright, but you know, sometimes we get, we get enslaved by the bright things of life, don't we? We get tied up. We get snared up. Uh, and another thing we had to do um, uh, w- with that toy is because you know, Anna likes to reach out and, and call out sometimes as well. You know, Anna likes to, to reach out and grab things. You know, and actually we found when we first had it that, that he was grabbing it and he was getting his fingers caught in the wire that was going round that Christmas tree. So Alison had to do her best uh, seamstress bit and, and catch the wires in so that he wouldn't catch it in his fingers. And that for me was a really good picture of how we can all get just enslaved by the bright things of this world that we, that we think at the time are, are great, but actually they tie us up. They, they enslave us. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So why, why do we need redemption? Why do we need to be saved? I've got here, courtesy of my cousin Michael, uh, who's much more patient than I am, I've got my family tree. Right. And actually, um, rushing around this morning, this isn't the latest version. This is the 2007 version uh, so it's, it's quite old. Uh, and actually since then, he's done some more research and he's found some more family and he's found uh, branches of our family uh, across in different countries of the world. Um, but uh, this goes back to um, Richard Burgess, with an E on the end, uh, and who married Joanne Willis. Um, and uh, Richard was born in 1645. Uh, in Trentishow in North Devon. Yeah. Uh, and it, wow, it is, it's great. It's, this is, and of course, this is only one half of my family uh, because 
um, my cousin Michael really only focused on his bit, you know, so actually, you know, there's all the other bit, you know, there's all uh, my wife Alison's half of her family, which, which doesn't feature on here at all. Uh, is she, she's on here, and our children are on here, but that's as far as it goes. So, it, you know, so actually, it's even more complicated than that. And why am I showing you this? Well, and, and there's some pictures here of some of the people. I'm showing you this just to say that actually there's an awful lot of people on here and there's an awful lot of stories and there's an awful lot of lives and some of those lives are, are great and some of those lives are not so great. And I know in my past, in my history, you know, there's... Like every family, you, know, you talk about skeletons in the cupboard, you know, so um, I know that there's, there's stories there. There's facts there, not stories, that's not made up. There, there are facts there of how's, how some of those people's lives have, have gone wrong and gone, gone off the rails, as it were. You know, and, and the one that's closest to my heart is that my dad, who's on there, David John Burgess, you know, was... Uh, who, he was the youngest of seven children. Uh, and uh, when he was just two or three, uh, his dad, my grandfather, uh, decided uh, that, that he wanted a, a different relationship. And so he, he went off and uh, he, he had a relationship with his secretary uh, and left my grandmother on her own uh, to care for those children. Yeah, and and a, that, that caused all sorts of, of ache and heartache uh, and difficulties. Why am I saying this? I'm, I'm not giving you, you know, I'm not going to go through my family tree. I'm just saying that for all of us, you know, if, if we each had our family trees going back to wherever we could trace them back to, you know, what we would see is there are real people there, people who are connected to us. And some of those people, you know, have, have gone the wrong way. And some of us, you know, have, have gone the wrong way. And in fact, I'd be so bold as to say that all of us, at some point, have gone the wrong way. I've gone the wrong way. So why do we need redemption? We need redemption because we're human. My ancestors were slaves to sin. I am a slave to sin. So the word redeem means to purchase or to buy one's freedom. So another way to say this is that God sent his only son to redeem, to buy our freedom because we were slaves to sin and the law. More than that, we did not have the means to purchase our own freedom. None of us goes to heaven based on our own merit. We have got a debt that we cannot repay. So at the right time, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to set us free. He came to purchase our freedom. He did that through his death for us on the cross. He took on our sins and God's wrath so that we would be free from the guilt of sin. The next gift I want to talk about is adoption. 
Redemption implies a sort of a negative situation, doesn't it? it it's, you know, we're redeemed from the, the curse of the law. We're redeemed from the slave market of sin, from the clutches of hostile spirits. We were once in bondage and Jesus came to set us free. But Paul, in writing to the Galatians, doesn't stop there. He went on, he goes on to show us the positive purpose of God sending Jesus to us. Jesus came and he died in order to redeem us from the law so that we might receive the full rights of sons. Not only are we free from the bondage of sin through Christ, but we're given a new family in Christ. In Galatians 3 and verses 25 and 26, we read, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. You are no longer under a guardian, you are all sons of God. Do you have a perfect family? Have you ever wanted a perfect family? Many people do. Perhaps that's what we all strive for. But sadly, you know, families aren't always perfect. Many of you will know that, that uh, Alison and I are foster carers. Um, uh, and I, uh, as, uh, not as part of that role, but in addition to that role, um, uh, I sit on one of the local fostering panels. Uh, and we sit as a group of people uh, who are asked to advise and, and make recommendations uh, on whether or not it's suitable for a child to be placed in a particular situation. Um, and, and those children that, that we're, we're advising and trying to, to determine the best outcome for them in what sometimes is a very sad or tragic or, or difficult family situation, uh, those, those children are so... You, know, you just want to do the best for them. You want to, 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 to make the best decision for them about whether they would be best living with a foster family or being adopted or being looked after by other members of the wider family group. And you know, actually, uh, it, it's really quite common um, to find that people have been involved in some way or other through the fostering or the adoption system. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was at a, away at a conference, nothing to do with fostering at all, um, uh, and, and we were sort of you know, burning the midnight oil after the last session, and, and we were in a group of about eight, eight people, I think, just, just friends together, come from all sorts of different organisations, um, and, and just the conversation somehow turns, turned to fostering, and, and we found out that within that group of eight people, um, I've got to make sure I get this right, um, there was one foster carer, uh, there was one person who'd been adopted. Uh, there was uh, one uh, person who had adopted uh, somebody else. And uh, there was one other uh, person who had been fostered uh, and, and been in care for the first part of their life. So half of that group of eight people had had, had some involvement with that system. You know, and, and actually, it just shows us that you know, what we do is, is the best we can for children who perhaps are in a difficult situation. And what we're reading about here in the Bible is better than any of that. 
There's a beautiful truth in Scripture of people becoming part of God's family. The special privilege of becoming a child of God, of being adopted into his family, is promised to those who accept God's Son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Saviour. Those who are in Christ are children of God. And to be a child of God is not an imperfect, uh, best-as-we-can-make social services back system. <laughs> to be one of God's children is perfection. The gift of God's family, the gift of being part of God's family. And then finally, the gift of inheritance. Have you made a will? Have you determined who should receive um, the remnants of your estate when you die? Yes. Um, I've got here, this is the last will and testament, don't get excited, yeah, it's not mine, it's, uh, of my dad. This is my dad's last will and testament. This sets out what he wanted to happen with his estate uh, when he passed away, as he did uh, in 2016. The last will and testament of David John Burgess, who was featured on this family tree. What is God's will? Because of Christmas and by God's grace, we have been delivered out of slavery into sonship. Out of bondage to sin and the powers of darkness into the glorious liberty that belongs to the children of God. Through the blood of Christ, we receive special privileges for being in God's family. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Because Christians are the children of God, they, we, are in a position to receive the Father's inheritance. And that inheritance begins with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sign and the pledge of our adoption. When we become his children, God dwells within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit's presence in our lives, we're truly convinced that God is for us, not against us. That indeed he is our Heavenly Father. And the evidence for this is, is not through miraculous works and spiritual gifts. The basic indication of our adoption is that we address God differently. We, we, we make that relationship. The Spirit invites us to cry out to God by saying those two words, Abba, or one word, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. 
the gift of Christmas is inheritance. And we're declared righteous through faith, not through what we do, but through what God has done for us in Jesus. God has set us free through his Son. God has made us co-heirs along with Jesus to inherit all that God wants to give us. So what did you receive for Christmas? We heard about some of the gifts that we'd had earlier. But what did you really receive for Christmas? I pray that what you really received for Christmas was the gift of Jesus. And through Jesus, the gift of redemption, of salvation. A divine inheritance. Not of money or property, but of God's Holy Spirit. Of God's presence of eternal life with him. These are the true gifts of Christmas. Not things that we purchase from a shop, wrap in paper or exchange with each other. I pray that you've already received that gift, but if you haven't, please just come and talk to me afterwards and I'll be delighted to pray with you uh, and to, to, share, to allow God to share that gift with you too. Amen. Just before we come to our closing song, as we stand at the uh, end of one year and the beginning of the next, I thought it would be good just to take some time to commit all that has gone before and all that will be before God. And so I'm going to invite us now just to stand uh, and I'll just lead us as we do that, as we think back and as we look forward. And then once we've done that, I'll ask Kenny to lead us uh, in our closing song. Father God, as we look back upon 2023, we remember all the things that have gone on in our individual lives and our lives and our life as a church. Lord, we remember our joys and our sorrows. Those opportunities that you have given us and the challenges that you have helped us to work through. Father, remember with joy those who have been born and with love and sorrow those we have lost. Father, we thank you for the way you have guided us through the last 12 months. 
We're sorry for the times when we have strayed away from the path that you would have us tread. We thank you, Lord, that as we've repented, as we've turned back from those things we've done wrong, you've welcomed us with your open, forgiving arms. And so, Lord, as we stand here on the last day of this current year, we look ahead to the year to come. And Father, our prayer is that we would walk every day with Jesus. Our prayer is that your Spirit would lead and guide us through each month. That, Lord, whatever you have in store for us, we would know that it is for our good. We pray you would strengthen us in times of difficulty. Heal us from illness and afflictions. Guide us when we are unsure. Father, keep us safe as individuals, as families, and as a church. And Father, our prayer is that as we go through the year, so we would be able to tell more people of your love. To bring the gift of Jesus to others who do not yet know him. To be inspired by your Holy Spirit. Through the next... 366 days of this leap year. So bless us, we pray, dear Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remain standing as uh, Kenny comes and Paul come to lead us. And uh, 